music dead set goes. That's his spraying beer probably all over his ceiling. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Isn't there a rule you can't nominate yourself as Diamond of the Week? It was just a spectacle. It was probably one of the better games we'll see. Just, just about doing, mate. Uh, surely. There you go. That's outstanding. That much talent running around in our own backyard. Ladies and gentlemen, the semi-pros. The semi-pros. Ladies and gentlemen, you the skull. Thanks for joining us on another edition of the Semi Pros. Great to have your company. Great show coming up today. Again, a feature on a local athlete that's doing incredible things right across the globe. He's not a full time athlete, he's a spare time athlete. And I say that in the kindest way. It is Mike Bray. He joins me on the show this week. Is that fair? Are you a spare time athlete? I copy-pasted this from a description that you had at a recent event, so I'm hoping it's right. So you're a school principal, a teacher, but a world-level competitive ultra-marathon runner, and you've competed in some of the biggest events across the globe. What's the attraction with wanting to be an ultra-marathon runner? Because if people don't know what it... Well, first, let's start with that. What is an ultra-marathon? If people don't know what that is... So technically, an ultra marathon is anything longer than a marathon. So once you've gone beyond okay. 42 kilometres, you're in ultra territory. Really, 50 kilometres is where it starts. But um, there's races, 100k, 100 mile, 200k, like they get really, really long. Um, mm. So yeah, running a long way for no reason. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a pretty good reason as well, the opportunities that, that come with it for yourself. Now, well, to tell the story, let's go back to the start. So how did you get involved in... Ultramar- Have you always been a runner? Not really. I grew up playing team sports like most Aussie boys, soccer in the winter, cricket in the summer, that kind of thing. And then at university in the 90s, uh, a lot of my friends were getting into triathlon during the triathlon yep. boom. I jumped on a bike one Sunday and did the bike leg of a team race just for a bit of fun and went, this is all right. I could have yep. a crack at this. So um, bought my own bike, taught myself to swim, started doing a bit of running and the whole endurance space just sort of took hold of me. Um, once I finished university and started teaching, I decided just to race bikes for a while because yep. I'm a really bad swimmer um, <laughs> and wasn't really into running at that stage. But then a few years into my teaching career, my wife and I did the stereotypical Aussie thing, went and taught in London for a while, yep. didn't have a bike, ran purely just to keep my fitness up and uh, caught the marathon bug, discovered I was better at running than I was at cycling. <laughs> so I made the switch and then after nearly 20 years running marathons, got bored and thought, what else can I do? And sort of switched my focus from trying to run fast marathons to just seeing how far I could go and caught the ultra bug from there. At what stage did you go from, as you said, just running for fitness and things like that to being competitive and actually chasing the clock, chasing time, setting goals that you wanted to achieve? When did that change occur? Oh, it's a bit of a funny story there because the answer is too soon. Um, <laughs> someone once said to me that only, only 10% of marathon runners ever break three hours. So I tried to break three hours in my first marathon and it was an absolute disaster. It involved lots of lying in a gutter and literally crawling. Um, and it took me seven years to do that. But I guess I've always just been, if you're going to do something, bite off more than you can chew and chew like crazy. So um, I'm just competitive by nature, I guess. So... Um, there's a message in that, though. So you <laughs> you set that goal. It took, what, eight attempts? Yeah, eight marathons in seven years of getting incredibly close but not being able to do it. Wow. I'm tenacious, if nothing else. Overcoming. Was it disappointing? Like, what was the, what was the roller coaster of emotions for you 
Oh, I'd get home from a race and throw my shoes in the bin and say I'm never doing it again. <laughs> and then I'd get up the next morning and get them out and go, all right, let's try again in six months. Let's go back to the drawing board. And I guess I knew I could do it. Yeah. It just – endurance sports take time. It's really about week in, week out, month in, month out. You build endurance over years, not over weeks. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a skill that you can develop quickly. It's just – there's no shortcuts. How close did you get in these pursuits? <laughs> I Dare I ask, bring up some painful 304, memories? 304, 303. I did a couple of 301s. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another 304. So they were all within a couple of minutes. Like you could see the finish line as, it, as the three-hour clock ticked over. So um, I knew I was close. Just what? took the right day for it to happen. And when you did it, what time did you do? Uh, I did a 2.57. So you made sure of it. I made sure of it. <laughs> and then uh, the next five marathons were all actually under three hours once I'd done it once. I think 2.55 was my quickest ever. So yeah. Got there in the end. And then that, like you said before, so that became, what would you say, boring. So, Or you got bored of that and you needed to find something. Well, bored, bored's probably the polite way to put it. The reality was I was in my 40s by this stage and your speed is the first thing to go. Yep. And so I knew that running even quicker still was going to get really, really hard. And um, the thought of just running for fun didn't appeal to me. <laughs> I thought if there's not a, an audacious, big, scary goal to chase, then, then what's the point? And that's when, through a few circumstances, I discovered trail running and, in particular, ultra trail. And suddenly this whole world was opened up to me where it wasn't about being as fast as you can but going as far as you can. Mm. And that just almost gave me a running career 2.0. It, uh, yeah. it reignited the fire. So when you said it opens up a whole new world, it literally did for you with opportunities and events when did you pick out certain events there's a couple of really big highlight events that you've been involved in but when you started out on this process was there a goal in mind were there certain events you thought hey oh that's where i want to get to that's what i'm going to train for yeah there kind of was the first ultra i did was actually a charity run in indonesia it was 30 something degrees and 100 percent humidity and horrible <laughs> and it was 63 kilometers and i thought i don't even know if i can do that and i look back now and i do that in training but um that was when I kind of met people who were ultra runners and started to learn about this whole niche sport that sits uh, out of the limelight of marathoning. And if I do something, I become a student of it. So I'm yeah. reading websites, I'm following the posts, and there were these couple of races that every year when they'd rolled around, the whole ultra world would go into a buzz. And it's like, well, they're the ones I want to do. <laughs> so uh, I love the – there's a lot of great grassroots events, which are heaps of fun. But I do love the atmosphere of a big event. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've run the Gold Coast marathon, oh, Half Marathon it's yourself, so you understand that concept of thousands of people like-minded sharing the same vision. There's a real energy around that. It's very true. That was one of the main things I took from just my brief involvement in that was the atmosphere around it was unbelievable. It's hard to explain if you haven't been there, whether you're running in it or a supporter of it. But it is, it's like something you can't really put into words to be honest oh it literally gives you goosebumps and i think one of the things i love about ultra running as well is you know let's say i go and decide to play soccer again i'm never going to get to be on the same stage as lionel messi or yeah. um michael son or depending yeah. on the team you support <laughs> whereas you go to something like uh the world series final of of ultra marathoning which i was in last month you're literally standing on the start line with your heroes like they're there it's one event that's pretty special to get to be a part of that. Mm. What were those big events you set your sights on? 
So um, there were probably two that yeah. I've been working towards for several years and by bizarre circumstances, they've both happened this year. So it's been the best year ever. But um, a race in Scotland called the Cape Wrath Ultra. Yep. So it's not as well known, but it's one that I just sort of came across my social media feed and I thought, that's a bit different. That's really cool. And it literally goes from one end of the Scottish Highlands to the other. So south to north, starting in Fort William, and it finishes at the Cape Breath Lighthouse, which is the northernmost, northwesternmost point of Scotland. Yep. Nothing there except the lighthouse. But I loved that because it's a stage race. It's actually over eight days. So you camp in between stages, 400 kilometres in a week, which I'd never done before. I'd never even been close to that before. But just the terrain is so remote. And it's actually the opposite of what we were talking about before. There's only 300 runners. There's no spectators because it's in the middle of nowhere. But it was just that real man versus nature <laughs> type thing. But a small group of people who were signing up to suffer together. <laughs> and there's some real bonds that, that come out of that. Like that was the camaraderie of that was particularly special. So that event, so what's the process for you to get to the start line of that event? Is it, do you have to qualify? Can you just turn no, up? No, because there's work? only a handful of people mad enough to do that. It's basically a first year best dress. So didn't need a race resume or anything. Their approach was basically, if you're silly enough to sign up, then um, we'll just trust that you know what you're doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> that so, you, signed, the, so you signed up? I signed up. And uh, interestingly, the attrition rate was quite high. I think out of 300 starters, there are only about 140 finishes. So... It was a tough gig. Talk me through that run. Um, it was fascinating because now these numbers are normalised in my world, but even though it's 400k over a week, the biggest day was only, only in inverted air commas, uh, 70 kilometres. So I'd, oh, run, I'd run a lot further than that before, but I'd never backed up day after day. Yep. And that's what I was really excited to, to manage, to try and get the nutrition right, try and get some sleep, try and maintain the body. All those other little one percenters, I was fascinated to see uh, how I'd cope with those and, uh, and back up day after day. How did you cope? Oh, I had good days and bad days. Um, it was really interesting because I thought my fitness would be the defining factor. Yeah. That wasn't. Two things really got me. Um, one of them was just trying to pace. Um, you're not just pacing for one race. You're going, I'm feeling good today, but I've got to do another 300K after this. Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? And there were probably a couple of days where I pushed too hard too soon and paid the price for that. It's very unforgiving pulling back. But the big thing for me was just the terrain. I live in Toowoomba yep. and we are so blessed to have Jubilee and Redwood and picnic points. Yep. We're spoilt for trails, but they're hard trails. They're yes. defined trails. Whereas this race was like mud, just knee-deep mud, for hundreds of kilometres um, up and down mountains. The Scottish concept of a peat bog is just so different to what <laughs> I was used to. So uh, I found the terrain really hard going and some of the locals that had grown up in that area just yeah. seemed to skip across the mud. I ploughed through it. <laughs> and so um, it was trying to get my head... That was probably the hardest thing So it was a big adjustment. It was a big adjustment and I fell a couple of times and I rolled an ankle and a few things like that that were secondary effects to the terrain that I had to manage as well. It's incredible to think that you've run 400 kilometres and it wasn't your fitness that was <laughs> yeah, I know, the right. concern. <laughs> oh, I was stuffed by the end of it, don't mm. get me wrong. I, I was very happy not to run another step once I got to the lighthouse. But um, it's my favourite word at the moment is multifactorial. <laughs> there were lots of factors <laughs> that all sort of – you weren't just managing one thing. You were trying to um, balance a lot of things. And even – Ironically, you need so many calories to get through that, but you don't feel like eating. 
So it's forcing yeah. yourself to get the food in and, and that kind of thing, which becomes So how many calories, what, 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 what would you eat or how that work? Oh, I didn't count calories yep. during that race, but basically it was like a, a mobile camp kitchen that sprung up <laughs> every, every yep. camp overnight and uh, evening meals were just as much pasta as you could fit in, yep. lots of hot chips, a couple of desserts, that kind of thing. <laughs> Breakfast was loads of porridge, hash browns. I've never, I don't tend to eat much before a run. Yeah. I was just ploughing down a couple of breakfasts and a half hour later, it's not there anymore. Like you just feel ready to roll. So Because you don't um, eat whilst you're running. I do. You have to. You have You've to. got yep. to get some calories in. So I use a lot of chewable calories, liquid calories. Yep, but not but like a meal. You're, you're not, not pull up and have a steak. You're not banging down a burger or anything <laughs> while you're running. No. Yeah. So... That, yeah, so all of these sort of things, and talk about pace. What what sort of pace we're we talking about here? So, what what was your goal, or how did that work? Like pacing yourself for four hundred k's. Like, what what are you doing per k? Oh, and I know that probably varies because of conditions and stuff. It but does. So, I mean, there's sections, particularly in the mountains, where you're literally walking, and even the pros do that, which is a foreign concept to road runners. They you know walking in a race and you actually win. Like, so. Um, but I guess you know, on a training run on the flat in Toowoomba, I'd run five minute kilometres. Whereas there it would be six, six and a half. Yeah. So you are really holding back. Yeah. So that's what I mean. So if per chance you at full fitness went out and said, oh, I'm going to run 400K around Toowoomba, you'd, you could do it in, you'd be comfortable doing it in that sort of, like that five ish sort of. Oh, I don't know if I'd do 405 ish. <laughs> <laughs> 50 maybe. Per day. But yeah, so yeah, oh, sorry, it's probably yeah. not a good example. But yeah, like if you, know, if yeah. you did 50 every day, you, you could peel it off in roughly that, in peak fitness, I mean. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I could. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so the experience of being a part of that, the scenery that you would have seen, just everything around it, was that just a incredible experience? It was, and I think I'd been to Scotland before. I hadn't seen that part of it, and it really is remote and rugged. They're the two key words, and it was actually really nice just to completely detach from regular life, and it was almost primal. Your goal each day is to survive and get from here to there, Um like you imagine the ancients were doing 400 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was a real beauty in that. Uh, you weren't watching the clock. You were aware of other competitors around you, but it was a staggered start each morning. Uh, yeah. It was seated. So even the people you were, you were running with, you weren't necessarily competing with them and you'd catch up with different people during the day. So it was just a uh, yeah, very primal experience, yeah. actually. So you're literally running all day? Yeah. I think the longest day was 10 hours. Yeah, non-stop. Absolutely. So as you said, if there's certain parts, like you said, where you have to walk because of terrain, but you're, you're moving. You're moving constantly. Yeah, absolutely. So run 70K or whatever it may be, sleep, wake up. Repeat. For eight <laughs> days. Yeah, yeah. With as much eating either end of that <laughs> at the end of each day as possible and trying to get some sleep. The, the experience <laughs> of, of that, can you prepare for that like in terms of what you have to go through it's more something like it's not an experience you can really prepare for until you're there I'm a big believer in being as prepared as you can yeah. and as organised as you can and yeah. it might sound really silly but I'd trained with all my gear I'd packed and repacked my pack 50 different ways just to get it as comfortable as possible <laughs> and I know a lot of people don't bother to do that but that can make a big difference on the race day um it's tented accommodation each night. Yeah. And so I had this ultra-thin sleeping mat and a sleeping bag. I actually camped out in the lounge room a couple of times sleeping on that mat just so it wasn't a new experience when I got to Scotland. So you can never be fully prepared, but you can be as prepared as possible. And I think that makes a difference. And you do think all of those things helped you? I'd like to think they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it must have. And then mentally, 
how how did you go through it? Whether did you have some dark moments, you had some positive uh, moments? Because that's a a long time in your own world, and as you said, and like you're thinking, oh, cool, I've done seventy k's, but I've got three hundred and thirty to go. Yeah, I'm a bit of an introvert, and I quite enjoy my own company. Yeah, um, so it wasn't too bad from that perspective. There were certainly some dark moments. Um, day three, I rolled my ankle quite early on, and so just that am I going to survive today, let alone the next 300K or whatever it was, uh, was certainly playing in the back of my mind. I did let myself get a bit down um, when I made some navigational errors because it's, it wasn't a clearly marked trail. There's a few times <laughs> I'd like to call it value for money, but you're running further than what you should be. It's, um, that can mess with your head too. But I love what I learned about the power of the mind. And I yep. remember on the must have been the night of day five or six. So you've run nearly 300K, you've got 100K to go. I was awake in the middle of the night because just the pressure of my sleeping bag on my ankle was keeping me awake. I'd fallen and skinned both knees, so every time I moved, like the scabs would rip off. I was aching from head to toe and absolutely exhausted. I remember thinking, there is no physical way I can get up and run. I think the next day was a 65K stage. But you wake up and you've actually got no choice. You're in the middle of rural Scotland. There's no there's no panic button <laughs> that gets you out of there. So you go through the you know you have the coffee, you eat the breakfast, you get dressed, you head off the start line, and it's almost like five minutes and your body goes, ah, oh, we're doing this again today, and it's this experience where it just kicks in and you warm up and you do it. Yeah. And it just left me wondering how often in life do we think that's too hard and I'm not going to do it when actually we could have, but we just took the easy exit. So did you learn a lot about yourself on that trip yeah i did for everyday life yeah absolutely uh i think um interestingly i did have a few things that went wrong like navigational errors i stacked it a couple of times i snapped a trail pole reflecting on that every time one of those things happened it's because i was trying to run someone else's race not my own i was either following someone rather than the gps on my watch or i was trying to keep up with someone on a tricky descent who was better at descending than me. Um, when I was running my own race, I was fine. I think there's a bit of a metaphor for life in that. Comparison's the thief of joy. And races where I've ignored everyone around me, their pace or whatever, and just focused on what I know works for me, they're the days I've had the race of my life. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be learnt from um, knowing yourself and not trying to run other people's races. Describe for me the emotion when you finished. I burst into tears. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit of a sook at the best of times, but um, that's a combination of relief and sheer exhaustion. And like I said before, it's so remote. It's the northwestern part of Scotland. Yeah. You, you've not seen a person other than another runner for days. <laughs> and you come around this ancient stone wall and you see the, the lighthouse up on the bluff. And I was just fighting back tears the whole last kilometre and unlike the big races there's no one there there's a couple of volunteers there's a finish line and there's a, you know a first aid crew and that's about it and so there's no fanfare there's no impressing anyone else but it was that internal satisfaction of i actually did it i actually survived this and i did well um mm. it's just it, it was dare i say it almost a spiritual moment of yeah just feeling completely connected with the present moment and with God and not having the distraction of everything else. And I'm this firm believer that to build up the mind and the spirit, you've actually got to break the body down. I could, I, that's another hour's conversation, but there's something about being completely physical, physically spent yep. that forces you to connect with those other dimensions of who you are. Does that make any sense? Yes, no, it does. <laughs> so from, from, that, from that point, 
what were the days after like? Mentally so, and physically. I was really fortunate and I had a bit of time off and I was there on my own. I've never travelled to a race without my family before, mm. which in one way was hard, but in another way I think it really sped up my recovery. I booked an Airbnb in Inverness for, for four or five days and I didn't have to match anyone else's schedule. I slept for 12 or 14 hours a day and I just ate all the food. Um, <laughs> serious, I've never eaten so much in my life my metabolism was just so high I was eating like five or six square meals a day um, <laughs> but I was just able to go at my own pace so I'd walk I'd nap I'd sleep I'd eat so it was a real luxury to be able to do that for four or five days and I think that really sped up my recovery I bounced back from I felt absolutely spent when I crossed the line I took like a selfie video for my family where I'm blubbering going I'm never going to recover from this I mean, <laughs> we're in such a world of hurt but um, having the opportunity to focus on recovery and mm. not have those other distractions of work and all and being having to travel immediately i think it really sped it up but have you felt anything like that before because that that's taxing on your body and your mind it's interesting i've done 100 mile races so like yeah. 160 kilometers where i probably felt more spent crossing mm. the line but it's a different kind of fatigue it's hard to explain it was that accumulative fatigue of a week that just leaves you bone weary as opposed to feeling like you've just gone 10 rounds, but you could probably do it again tomorrow. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. <laughs> this is a weird question that popping into my mind. I'm thinking, oh, if you jumped on the scales, did you lose weight? Like, you know, you know, so many people have asked me that question, and yeah, the right. honest answer is I don't know because I had no way of, of mm. weighing myself, but um, not really. Um, you don't tend to lose weight in a race because – you actually you don't burn that many calories in a day. It's more the elevated metabolism. And I reckon if I jumped on the scales two or three days after the race, yeah. I probably would have been down a bit. But yeah. trust me, after a week in Scotland and then a week in London, I'd put on weight by the time I got home. <laughs> so Ten kilos I, more than what you, what you started the I trip. I eat pretty well the whole time. So, and I'm a sucker for pastries. So I just bakery hopped my way around Scotland after the race. So it was great. Just ate your way through yep. it once you'd yep. done it. That was your recovery. That's so right. You just said, oh, whatever. But you actually have to. The yep. worst thing you can do is not get enough calories in afterwards. So Yeah. yeah. So that was a huge bucket list item ticked off for you. So yep. But then, and I know, as obviously having heard your story, another race pops up not too far after that finished. Tell that me. was not the plan, but no. that's the way it played out. So when I first really got into the whole ultra thing, um, there was this race that just captivated me called the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, UTMB. And um, it's widely regarded as... It's not necessarily the longest, but it's the most famous. Um, it's, it's been the unofficial world championships, if you like, yeah. of, of long-distance trail running. And um, it was its 20th year this year, and there's just such an aura around it. That's where, where legends are made. And so it starts in Chamonix in France and follows a loop around the Mont Blanc Massif, which is the highest point in, um, in Europe. And you literally, in doing a lap of the mountain, go from France into Italy into yeah, Switzerland... Wow back to France, which is pretty special as well. And there's 10,000 metres of elevation gain, so it's proper mountain running. Um, so all the challenges thrown into one in what I think is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd probably go, I don't know if you want to do the 171Ks that yeah. comes with it, but how did it come about that you 
ended up in that event? Because I guess, as you said, obviously it wasn't planned because I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't want to do 400Ks and then eight weeks later. In a perfect world, do a 400K event and then back up eight weeks later into another massive one. Yeah, well, it's, um, to get into UTMB is quite tricky. Yeah. Uh, you've got to keep up a qualifying standard. But once you qualify, that just gets you in the lottery. There's 2,700 <laughs> spots on the start line. And believe it or not, there's tens of thousands of people that want to do that race. So I'd been doing that for years. Every year was a cycle of plan out the qualifying events, make sure you meet the criteria, go in the lottery in December, which gets drawn in January, wallow in self-pity for a month when I don't get in, <laughs> repeat the cycle. And um, it's such an emotional roller coaster. And in January this year, I didn't get in. And I was absolutely gutted, which is why I went and did Scotland because I thought, you know what, I need okay. something to, to focus yep. on because I'm sick of this cycle of dr- having this dream and not being able to achieve it. And then it was a Friday night in March. I was actually doing an 80K race the next day, so I was just about to go to bed. And for some unknown reason, I've checked my email and I get this email from UTMB saying, it's our 20th anniversary to celebrate. We've opened up a few additional spots here's your invitation to come and compete. Now, I don't sleep the night before a race anyway, so trying to sleep the night before a race with that exciting news going, how do I tell my wife that I'm going overseas twice in a year? But she's so incredibly supportive. So um, first thing I did was get in touch with my coach and go, these races are really close together. Is it even possible? And he said, look, if we manage your load right, this could actually be the perfect situation. Mm. He said, a 400K week, you know, a couple of months out, that could be the perfect platform if we manage your recovery and, and then launch you again. So quite unexpectedly, um, I was booking flights to Europe to uh, wow. do the race of my dreams. Was there any thoughts of let's not do Scotland? Did that ever enter your equation once this opportunity came up? No. Yeah. No, it didn't. Oh, it, it might have been a fleeting thought, but I've put a lot of faith in my coach. He's a, he's a world-class pro himself. So it was more about uh, managing uh, how Once he said this. it was possible, it's like, yeah. right, let's just have the best year ever. Let's just do it. Okay. So you do Scotland, as you said, went on your pastry diet for how many days? Yep. <laughs> was there much, did was there any any time in between that you weren't running? Oh no, yeah, that little period. Like, so yeah. how did you manage that? Because that that oh, that's pr- not a long, not a pretty much gap. two weeks off altogether. Yep, just to give everything a little bit of time to heal, and then I didn't need to do a massive lot because endurance you don't lose it overnight. Yep. Um, so it's just a case of recovering. Once I was convinced I was recovered, some maintenance training, just low mileage, getting the body moving again. And then it was really only probably one month um, of increased training, high mileage, just to top up the tank again before we went off to Europe. Mm, So planning for Europe, going through the French Swiss Alps, it sounds wonderful. The only thing is you've got to do 171 (laughs) straight on your feet, and that's what Mike Bray did. We're going to talk more about that after the break. Who is Haynes Wilson? They're mortgage brokers. They'll find the right loan for you and they'll manage the whole process from start to finish. Whether it's your first home, refinancing your current dwelling or in an investment, they have access to loans from a host of Australia's leading lenders. They're not just here to help you find a loan with the right fit, they're here to make the whole process easier. Professionalism at every turn. Pick up the phone and call today. Haynes Wilson, 45999113. Considering who to trust with your tax return and other the financial affairs is a big decision. You can trust ITP Toowoomba. Your local ITP tax agent at 4 Tourist Road is a specialist in tax for individuals, business and public servants. ITP was voted Australia's most trusted accounting and tax service. Maybe it's the attention to detail. Maybe it's the professional and friendly service. 
Or maybe it's because they know you'd rather be doing what you love and leave it to the professionals. Leave it to ITP Toowoomba. Phone them today and book an appointment. 46327688. Alpine Refrigeration are your local heating and cooling experts servicing southwest Queensland with branches located in Toowoomba and Gatton. They deliver superior sales, service and project design to local commercial and domestic clients, plus offer customised air conditioning and refrigeration solutions for work or home. Alpine Refrigeration is 100% Australian owned and operated and actively involved within the business and local community. Alpine Refrigeration, your local heating and cooling experts. Check out the website at alpinerefrigeration.com.au or phone 46178555. Where's the home of live sports in the Garden City? The Southern Hotel Bar 839. Of course, big screens, atmosphere, you'll think you're at the game. $15.95 all-day main meal specials. Courtesy bus from 6pm to 1am every Friday and Saturday. Live music every Friday and Saturday night until late. Free pool all day every Sunday. Bar 839 is your place. Settle in for a day or night of fun, food, sport and great company. Bar 839, something for everyone. Have you heard of Semlo Support Services? Semlo Support Services is built on a strong foundation of values that include integrity, leadership, partnership, innovation and excellence. They're passionate about empowering individuals with disabilities to live a more inclusive and independent life. To learn more about the services they provide, log on to www.semlosupport.com or call 46 13 64 13 and follow them on social media to stay updated with all the great work they do. Semlo Support Services, proudly local, community-based and community-focused because they believe in making our community a better place, one individual at a time. This is Power FM. You're listening to The Semi-Pros. You are listening to The Semi-Pros. Special guest on the show this week, Mike Bray, and it's an incredible story. So, Mike, to go to this next event eight weeks after you finish that huge event in Scotland, what was the most important part in your preparation? It was making sure I was recovered. Um, You don't lose a whole bunch of fitness in eight weeks when you've done something like Cape Wrath in Scotland. So there was that temptation to to jump straight back in and go really hard, but that's where having a coach is really helpful. Um, kept me off my feet for a couple of weeks and then we just eased back into it. So I really only had a few weeks of high volume, high climbing training going into that. And it was just having that external person going, we don't need to overcook it. You've got the fitness. The last thing you want is to be injured or overcooked on the start line. Mm. And because he'd done the race, not only done the race several times, he'd actually podiumed there before. I had someone who I knew what they were talking about that I could trust. So that was really helpful. So you get there. What what was this experience like? Oh, it was... I don't know. I get excited. I'm, I'm an easily excited person. And so I just had this high expectation. And just arriving in Chamonix... If anyone who's listening has been there, it is the most gorgeous place. It's this beautiful little town wedged in the valley between two massive mountain peaks. It's old. It's cobblestone. Even in summer, the the peaks are capped snow. It was just, I giggled. (laughs) Seriously, I was walking around giggling. And then because it is such a big event, the population of Chamonix, the other 
51 weeks of the year is only 10,000 people, but there's 40,000 people there for UTMB. Um, it's just trail running heaven. Um, the who's who is there in terms of elites, manufacturers, um, media, it's a spectacle set in the most stunning location ever. So it was, I just kept pinching myself. It, it yeah. was fantastic. So you're on the start line yep. at the event that you've always wanted, to, like the pinnacle. Yes. Yep. It was, it was so emotional. I know that's an overused word, but the start line is on the, the square, if you like, on, on the steps of the church, this beautiful yep. little old church. There's 2,700 people packed in. And I'm looking around, and it's just grown men in tears. Um, and whether it's the fear of what's coming, the <laughs> majesty of the surroundings, for me, I was getting misty-eyed just thinking, I've actually got here. After <laughs> years of dreaming, this is it. This is actually about to happen. Uh, just the feeling of immense gratitude, and it was remarkable. And they do atmosphere really well. Like you've got the big start line and the banner, and they play Conquest of Paradise over the <laughs> PA system, which is this beautiful classical piece, and you're literally running out these cobblestone streets into the Alps um, along... Uh, Esplanades packed with tens of thousands of people cheering like crazy. It's insane. Was it everything you thought it was or dreamt that it would be? Do you know, I love that question because the two days before the race, I was really, really nervous, not about the race itself, but I'd built it up so high in my mind. Yep. I put this race up on a pedestal thinking <laughs> this is the pinnacle. And I thought, what if I hate it? What if it sucks? What if I don't finish? What if I have a really bad experience? And so I was actually worried about that. I've invested all this time and money and my family were there. Um, but I'm pleased to report it exceeded my expectations. Yeah, it was wow. everything I'd hoped and dreamed. And I had a really good race, which was fantastic. So everything came together. Yeah, there were still some challenges. Um, I had some problems nutritionally. I picked up a bit of a stomach bug, just really low grade in the days leading up to the race. So... Um, I think we said earlier, getting calories in yep. constantly throughout the race is the most important thing. And when your stomach's a bit upset and you don't feel like eating, that becomes a real challenge. And I'd trained with my specific sports nutrition. I had a plan A and a plan B if that didn't work and then plan C wasn't working either. So I really had to improvise and just go, when I get to an aid station, I'm going to grab the first thing that looks a little bit appealing, stuff as much as possible in because I knew that if I didn't keep the calories up, it'd be a disaster. So I ended up running the first 20 odd hours on Coke and watermelon. And then um, the back end of the race, I swapped the watermelon for soup and uh, that with Coke and coffee pretty much got me home. <laughs> but everything else went really well. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about that. So if someone said, oh, what should you drink before going on a run? And I said, Coca-Cola. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not supposed to work. But um, I think <clears throat> particularly once you're, you're really depleted and your body's yep. just craving calories, whatever goes down. Quality doesn't matter so much as quantity. Yeah. But it's an to... interesting combination, watermelon yeah. and Coca-Cola. It, it, it was palatable. So, <laughs> but it was funny. I've never raced in Europe before. And in Australia, you see the watermelon and the banana yes. and the sports drinks. There was literally wheels of cheese and processed meat and olives. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And, and the Euros were just woofing Loving the stuff it. down. So. Well, you're thinking that's the last thing I... That was the last thing I felt like. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, you, yeah, okay. Whatever That's, works. Whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever works for them. There must have been some amazing – you must have some amazing mental memories and pictures of those sites 
you've had a little job, so to speak, run, compete in this race, but did you ever at times look around and go, oh, wow, look at that? Oh, this is constantly. Um, I'm on a postcard here, you know? I, I stopped and took a few photos. I thought it's worth the, the 20 <laughs> seconds to, to capture the memory. But the race starts at 6 p.m. on Friday, um, so you're literally running into the night. Within three hours, you're in complete darkness, and that's when you transition from France and Italy over the um, these massive mountains. And it was a full moon, so you can't necessarily see a distance but it was so weird. You, you're climbing high. You can tell you're at a high elevation. You can see moonlight glistening off glaciers <laughs> on the next mountain range. Um, it all it, sounds so romantic. It was. <laughs> it really was. And um, we hit a bit of snow up high as well, which yeah. just added to the fun. But um, on the descent down into Italy, um, uh, probably about, I don't know, 10 hours, 12 hours into the race, I, um, I saw a photographer looking back up the mountain, I thought, it's the middle of the night, what are you doing? And I've turned round and there's this trail of light, 2,000 headlamps weaving its way down the Alps into yeah. Italy. It was like there's a ribbon of moving light. It was remarkable. It was just incredible. Have you seen that picture or a picture of that somewhere since the event? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen some video as well. And then once the sun came up and we were in Italy, we were running through the Aista Valley and you're just traversing these mountain ridges with... Um, landmarks that I've seen in videos and seen in books to actually be running past Refugio Bonatti <laughs> and up the Grand Col Foray, which is the highest peak of the uh, the race, was just uh, inspiring. Overused yeah. a lot, but if you're going to suffer somewhere, that's where you want to do it. Seriously, <laughs> that's the place to go. If Absolutely. you want to be in pain, <laughs> yep. this is what I want to see yeah, around yeah. me. Yep. Yeah, well, sure. it's probably not a bad. It's probably not a bad way to uh, to look at it. That that's for sure. So to to be a part of that, to be in that event, in that sort of scenery. Actually, I was going to be, why at night? Is there a reason? Sorry, going back to uh, that. I reckon. Is there any reason they do Is that normal? Not necessarily. It yeah. is an unusual time. But um, yeah, the pros tend to run it in around 24 hours, and yeah. that means they're finishing in daylight. Yeah. Um, it, you know, everyone's going to run through a night regardless. So I guess just to give context, you know, the, the best of the best will do it in around 20 hours, but the official cutoff is 46 and a half. So it starts Friday night. You've got till Sunday afternoon to finish, to finish it. it. So the majority of runners will run through two full nights. 40 hours is about par. Um, that's the average finishing time. So you're going to be running through a couple of nights regardless. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Just thinking of how that... So well, what did you end up doing, time-wise? Uh, 34 hours and 15 minutes, which and what, yeah. was quicker than I'd hoped. I'd thought if yeah, I had right. a really good day, I'd hit 36. So the goal was to, to not see a second sunrise. <laughs> and so I finished at quarter past four in the morning So on, on Sunday. So yeah. 36, you, you went in and said, I'd love to do this in I'd call 36. 36 par for myself. I thought that's about where I was at. Yeah. And you would felt or known I'm well ahead of this? No. <clears throat> You've got to be really careful because <laughs> in a race that long, if you get carried away with yourself yeah. um, and you overcook it, it's very unforgiving. If the wheels fall off, um, it doesn't blow out by minutes. It can blow out by hours really, really easily. So I was aware I was ahead of schedule, but I was being really mindful not to get too fanciful. Yeah, um, so still and, and I'd gone into the race going, this could be my only shot. I would yeah. rather finish in 40 and smiling <laughs> than try and run 32 and not finish. So where's that place you, 34, like uh, overall? 367th. Out of 27? Out of 2,700. Yeah, yeah wow. So, um, but I was 10th Aussie. That, that was pretty exciting. There were yeah. a few hundred Aussies over there, so to, uh, to get top 10 Aussie was unexpected. 
Yeah, well, that was really nice. That's probably the reason I did mention, and not to back back backtrack. So Scotland, were mm. you happy like result wise there? Yeah, I was earlier, ninth so. nail in yeah. in Scotland, so I managed to crack the top ten there, which was nice. So, so you finished this 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 one through the you know the was it Ultra Mont Blanc? Yep. What was the emotion after that one? Oh, it's funny. I'm I'm a bit of a sook. Like I get teary pretty easily. It's not uncommon for me to get a bit weepy crossing the finish line, and it's exhaustion, relief, accomplishment. I actually didn't. Um, coming oh, really? into Chamonix, uh, four in the morning, you're running through. Oh, honestly, I was just I just had this burst of excitement and adrenaline, and I didn't think I had another gear. But once I crossed the river into Chamonix and knew there was like a kilometre to go, I just was smiling from ear to ear. I was punching the air as if I'd won the thing. <laughs> the few people that were still in bars and clubs were cheering like crazy. It was just, I've never felt that level of exhilaration at the end of a race. And coming up the finishing line back towards the church, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, <laughs> with my family standing there. Yeah. Uh, they've been such a big part of the journey yeah. and they'd been up all night like they'd, they'd followed me around the course crewing for yeah. me so they'd had no sleep just to see Belinda and the three kids there and yep. uh, across the line was oh best experience of my life outside of faith and family so. yeah that's a that's a big statement isn't it and it shows what it, what it meant to you so then yeah. you, you've done it so much build up towards it throw in Scotland that came with it months have passed now have do you, are you a sort of person where, okay, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, I've done it, I'm content, I'm finished, or is it? Is there, a, is there that gap? I, I wish it, I was that person sometimes. So there's some, that's <laughs> right. So there's something else, there needs to be something else that's coming, is that right? Yeah, it's been nice this time. Often races sell out or yeah. you've got to go in the lottery really early. So more often than not, as I'm doing a race, I've already got the next one booked in. It was really nice with UTMB to not have anything on the it. calendar. There was no distraction, and it just almost allowed me to pour 100% out of the tank into the race and not worry about what's next. And quite often after an event, the post-race blues is a thing because <laughs> you're exhausted, you've got to take some time off running, and running's not just, I love it, it's who I am, it's part yep. of what I do. I'm not, I'm not fully me when I'm not running. Um, I haven't had that this time because I've actually taken the time to celebrate mm. and just to actually be able to sit back and go that was awesome i'm eight weeks or whatever it is post-race i'm still soaking it up a bit which yeah. is really nice and i'm back training gently and i've just this week booked in a, a, a slightly more local race so there's things to look forward to but i haven't allowed myself to miss the opportunity to celebrate yeah. by getting too excited about yeah. the next thing just yet, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm very curious when you say slightly more local, what does that mean? <laughs> Victoria. <laughs> so you're in it's the in country. Australia, you're in the country. Yeah. yeah. So what's that event? Uh, it's called the Buffalo Stampede. Yep. So it's down in the um, Alpine National Park in Victoria. So it's a 100K ultra uh, start finishes in the small town of Bright yep. in the Victorian Alps. So that's not ne it's a race I've been aware of, not necessarily a bucket risk list race but i've got a couple of mates that i race and train with and we'd been talking for ages about a boys weekend away a road trip and that was one that sort of appealed to all of us and it was far enough into next year that we could sort of recover from this season and and uh, plan ahead and have a bit of anticipation so end of march we'll have a bit of a weekend of away and a road trip so right do you yeah. are there any other major events on a global stage that pique your interest 
Yeah, there's heaps. Um, I'm not <laughs> Sorry, sure. Ask that question. No, I'm just worried my wife will listen to this <laughs> because, I mean, and I, I shouldn't joke because Belinda is just so incredibly yeah. supportive. Um, but I, I get hyper focused is her term, and so I'm really conscious of not booking in the next thing and going. Yes, that's it. Um, there's a hundred mile race in the US called the Western States, um, yeah. which. I think it's on every ultra runner's bucket list, but it's super incredibly hard to get into just because they limit the field uh, so much. Similar so, concept? You've got to qualify a lottery? or Yeah, but much, much harder to get okay. into because there's only 300 runners and they get thousands yep. of applications every year. So if my number came up, I'd love to do that, but it's probably not one I'd um, die regretting not doing. I think what I've learned this year is I actually love mountains. And yep. so heading back to Europe and... There's race. There's a race called the Tour de Gents in Italy, not too far from where UTMB is. Similar terrain, but 330 kilometres. And so there's that part of my brain that goes, "All right, I've done 175 and survived. Could I double it?" <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd give it a crack if the chance came up. So there's. Everything's on the table. Nothing's off the table for you with, in terms of if the right event and you got accepted or the right it just didn't happen, you wouldn't be able to say no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Life's too short. <laughs> and that's what it is there for. There, if, there's, if, if there's something there, you'll give it your best shot and experience it. I, I love the adventure of it. Yeah. And I guess I'm a little bit fascinated with that concept of knowing where your limits are. And I thought Scotland would break me. And it didn't. I thought UTMB maybe was the limit, and it wasn't. And oh, I can't remember who said it, but only those who dare to go too far will know how far they can truly go. <laughs> that kind of resonates with me. How far can you go? <laughs> how long's a piece of string on over? How, yeah. What, what's the first? What's the like? Oh, let's give a go that distance. What's the longest distance event out there? Oh, there's a thousand mile race in the US, but that's just ridiculous. That yep. takes a couple of months of like, <laughs> and it's around a track, like oh, it, really? or it's around a neighbourhood. So basically, they set up camp for a couple just of months and they just keep going, oh. sleeping. That, that has zero appeal. Yeah, I um, can imagine. But um, I, I think if the opportunity to do another stage race came up and everything lined up, I'd grab it. But I think it's the single, single push events that that excite me and. 300 kilometres would be a stretch. But then a couple of years ago, I thought a marathon was a stretch. So who knows? Who knows? Incremental well, improvement. Yeah, well, there's plenty of opportunity out there. Yeah. So we'll see you next in action in uh, March. Do you ever just do like park run? Or is that like just too Do you know what? I did my first park run in two years. Really? On Saturday, just gone. Yep. So the thought of, honestly, I'd rather run 100 miles and try and run 5K fast. It hurts. <laughs> But um, no, I've decided over summer <clears throat> I'm going to. Um, my son takes himself off to park run yep. every Saturday morning because I'm out doing a long run. Yeah. Um, but I've decided to join him over summer and see if the old legs can still run a half decent 5K. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll hopefully see you out there on the 5K track. Look forward to seeing what comes up from the ultra marathons. I said it's a really cool story. I mean, and and you would have like, and I saw you speak recently, of course, at the Red Frogs Gala. It's there's what you've been able to achieve through your feet but what it sort of taught you in terms of you said like mentally strength wise resilience all sorts of things that we talk about in today's society that maybe are lacking in youth or things like that but have, have you learnt so much about yourself and a perspective on life 
through what you've been able to do and what you've gone through on your feet. Yeah, absolutely. I love that concept of grit. Um, yeah. and, and I think resilience and grit are sadly lacking. Um, that's a big generalisation, I know, but I guess as a school principal, I'm seeing more and more kids, and dare I say it, parents, who um, don't have a whole degree of resilience. And I think part of the issue is we don't, we don't push ourselves to see what we're capable of. We build lives that are highly convenient. We air condition everything. We don't move more than we have to. We're into automation and we lose that sense of, I wonder if, I wonder if I could do it. I think there's a lot to be said for doing hard things and yeah. the satisfaction that comes with that. And that just doesn't apply to running. That applies to all aspects of life. In fact, just yesterday, I met with my, my board chair of my college working through a pretty difficult problem and I was pretty frustrated. And he just looked at me and went, you can run across Scotland. This is nothing. And I thought, oh, don't use that against me. <laughs> no, it's a, but it's true. Go. But yeah. it's true. Yeah. You probably never thought it would be used against you. No, like that's that, Would right. you? That's ironic, isn't it? So, yeah. But yeah, I think it's a great story. And so when I saw you speak at that event, I thought I'd love to, for our listeners to get you on and talk about it and, and, and take a short. So thanks so much for giving us some of your time. I said it is a great story and, and, and one you know, as you said, like of, of grit, of resilience, of taking opportunity, of seeing parts of the globe through being involved in a, you know, in a in a recreational pastime. We all do. We all walk or run in some capacity all across yeah, the time. Yeah, we've all got to move. We probably don't take it to the degree that you have, but I mean, that's what you sort of break it down to, and to get the opportunities and achieve what you have is just a, a remarkable story. So, appreciate you joining us on the show, and I can't wait to see what the future chapters are. Thanks, James. Absolute pleasure. Mike Bray joining us on the Semi-Pros. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have a look at what's happening in sport this weekend. Hogan's Family Jewelers is Toowoomba's premier family-owned jewellery store. Three generations have been serving Toowoomba and the Darling Downs for the past 74 years. Hogan specialise in handcrafting, engagement, wedding and eternity rings and all fine jewellery using only the highest quality GIA certified diamonds and hand-selected gemstones from the most renowned regions in the world. Lofty has a passion for designing beautiful, unique pieces for his clients and is available by appointment for consultation. Visit Lockie Hogan and the team at 243 Margaret Street, Toowoomba. Hogan's, for those who prefer quality. Let me introduce you to a proud local business that's making a real difference in our community. Semlo Support Services. They're built on a strong foundation of values that include integrity, leadership, partnership, innovation and excellence. Ben, Jess and their incredible team are dedicated to helping you understand and implement your plan. To learn more, log on to www.semlosupport.com or call 46 13 64 13 and follow them on social media to stay updated with their great work. Semlo Support Services, proudly local, community-based and community-focused because they believe in making our community a better place, one individual at a time. Where's the home of live sports in the Garden City? The Southern Hotel Bar 839. Of course, big screens, atmosphere, you'll think you're at the game. $15.95 all-day main meal specials. Courtesy bus from 6pm to 1am every Friday and Saturday. Live music every Friday and Saturday night until late. Free pool all day every Sunday. Bar 839 is your place. Settle in for a day or night of fun, food, 
sport and great company. Bar 839, something for everyone. Hutchies lives in Toowoomba. We are local people building local jobs. To us, construction is really about people because it's people who bring structures to life. We also stick by the people who make our community. We support many sports clubs and social causes here, such as the Blush Cancer Ball, Toowoomba Hospital Foundation, Toowoomba Rugby League, Rotary Run the Range, the Toowoomba Clydesdales, and many more. Hutchies is proud to back people who support the region. PL McKellar Concreting, a proud locally owned family business with over 20 years' experience. Residential or commercial work, no job too big or too small. For more info, phone Paul at PL McKellar Concreting on 0498 693 656 and make sure you follow them on Facebook. PL McKellar Concreting, proudly local, proudly supporting the Toowoomba community. And now, and now, I present local sports with the semi pros. Thanks for joining us on the semi pros. Great story that one with Mike Bray, school principal by day, ultra marathon runner by night, morning, and pretty much any other hour of the day. But incredible to listen to some of the stories that he would have, some of the sights that he's seen, and I've got an idea that there will be a few more of those to come into the future. All right, let's have a look at what is happening in sport this weekend with thanks to PNL McKellar Concreting. The Paul and Lisa McKellar for all of your concreting needs and they present our what's on this weekend in the local sport. Let's have a look at what is happening. TCI A-grade one-day competition. It is the final fixture round of the 50-over comp and the fixtures west up against Highfields. That one takes place at the Harristown State High School Northern Brothers Diggers will take on the South Magpies at Bob Butler Oval up there at Rockville Park. And Metropolitan Easts will take on University and that one up at Southern Cross Reserve. So that's what's happening in round nine of the TCI. Toowoomba Rangers, our local baseball team, the A-graders in the GBL competition, Div 4, they play tomorrow. So the Sunday, the 3rd of December. And the Rangers are away to the Redlands Rays, both teams sitting mid-table. So an important match for both clubs there. Whilst the Rangers B-grade team, which takes part in the GBL Division 6 statewide competition, they are also on the road and they take on All-Stars down there at the All-Stars Diamond. And again, both of those teams sitting around that mid-table position. So pretty important weekend for both of our Toowoomba Rangers sides Boxing, we're out to Pittsworth. TGW and Smithy brings the big fight to 34. Walk down in Pittsworth town. This is becoming such a popular, popular event in Pittsworth. And it's headlined by the fighting pride of Pittsworth in Jackson Griffiths. So Jackson Griffiths takes on um, a very well-credentialed Thai opponent in Sri Sang, who has a pretty formidable record, and they will fight for the WBC Australasian title. But also on that card, we see uh, Gunda Wimby's favourite son in Gunson, Jed Morris, as well as Ricky Nato from Japan, who has his first fight here locally. So that's all happening out there at the Pittsworth Town Hall. TGW and Smithy brings the big fights 34. That's a look at what is happening in sport this weekend. Thanks for joining us on the program and look forward to speaking to you again next week. That's my rock of the week. I think he's a dead set goes. That's his spraying beer probably all over his ceiling. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Isn't it real you can't nominate yourself as Diamond of the Week? It was just a spectacle.
It was probably one of the better games we'll see. Just, just about doing, mate. Uh, surely. There you go. That's outstanding. That much talent running around in our own backyard. Ladies and gentlemen, the semi-pros. The semi-pros. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Let's go.